everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome a friend that I met long ago and just recently connected with today, <laughs> um, Gabe Aoyoung. Hi, Gabe. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I am. So- how long has it been? I want to say like 10 years. I mean, it's been... Last time I saw you, I think we were on like a dance team. Yes. And and we were getting down with like students at Georgia Tech. That's right. That's (laughs) right. Um, So we were just talking about before we started recording, um, David, my husband, is in the same graduating class as Gabe. Um, But that's my memory of you, Gabe, is like you were a great dancer, uh, hip hop dancer. And um, not only that, like you, your ability to mobilize people was always like inspiring for me. So like, truly, I'm excited to hear like, I'm, sh- you know, I'm shocked that you're not, are, you're not doing a dancing professionally, are you? No, I wish, <laughs> I wish. My body can't move like it used to. Uh- <laughs> Um, well, Gabe is here to tell me more about what he does. And you guys, I actually, on purpose, didn't have him explain anything to me. So um, all of this is fresh for me, too. So, Gabe, without further ado, what is it that you do? All right. Um, it's, it's a little long-winded, so uh, we'll, we'll take it any way you want to go. Sure. But I'm a director, a chief of staff for the chief technology architect at PayPal specifically for the enterprise architecture and platform experiences team. Okay. (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) to unpack this a little bit. Okay. My first thoughts. Okay. Before you start explaining, okay. In my head, the term chief of staff Mm -hmm. is, you know, something I think of when I think of the president, right? Like chief of staff is like the second to the president or their chief of staff. Right. And it's like, they do it all. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> they do it all. Okay. So you're chief of staff to who now? The chief technology architect for the company. Of? And, and uh, at PayPal. Okay. And you're exactly right. Chief of staff is kind of like second in command, uh-huh. uh, like the doppelganger or like the, the shadow of whoever's in command, whether it's the president, whether it's the CEO, whether it's the CTO, or in this case, the chief architect. Um, and what my boss, the architect oversees, is the enterprise architecture and platform experience of the organization. Okay. Um, again, just pretend like I know nothing because I don't yeah. know anything. Because um, <laughs> these are all new terms to me. But this totally. is so exciting. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, by the way, congratulations. What a great job. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, I, I like it. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, let, let's dive into it. So I usually um, let, I guess, the person asking the questions choose. Do you want me to talk about the role first or do you want me to tell you about what our org does? Because they're both kind of go hand in hand. I could start either way. Um, let's, let me start with the org, you know? Yeah, let, let's, let's talk start about the org. org. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, then yeah. it'll make yeah. like the, the day-to-day and like what I do a little more real. Okay. Um, okay, so let's let's unpack uh, and ask questions, interrupt. Love this to be interactive. Yeah. A lot of terms that I never heard about until I, I got this job anyway. So enterprise architecture uh, is kind of a fancy way of saying software engineering, Okay. but it's at a different level. So let's just say uh, you're a software developer. Chances are you have to design a system, you have to design some code, you have to design an application, what have you, right? Uh, An architect is kind of the person who does that designing. 
Mm-hmm. Not many people think of architect in the sense of software. They think like, oh, I'm making a building, right? right. But architecture actually is a very big deal in software development. Um, what kind of database you choose, uh, what kind of interface you choose, you know, what belongs in the front end, what belongs in the back end. All of that stuff is an architecture's resp- uh, architect's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, enterprise architecture, now it's getting more complex, is looking at how systems interoperate and are designed amongst one another. So if you are at a local level, you're an architect for an application, you're kind of just looking at your little piece of code, your, your own domain, right? Okay, if you yes. created a website, you're the architect for your website. Okay. Now, an enterprise architect is going to look at five, six, seven different websites all together and say, well, this doesn't belong here. It should be over there. Or everyone's doing the same thing. Why not develop that in the same way and use some shared components so that way we can be more efficient, we could be more consistent, give a better customer experience. So the enterprise architecture is basically looking across the enterprise, uh-huh. looking at every piece of code, every piece of software that we develop, and looking for those efficiencies in the way things are designed, in the way things interoperate. And we try to be like that glue between mm-hmm. all of these different systems. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. Okay. So I'm like so amazed right now. I'm all I can think is, man, what kind of brain thinks like this? Cause like I, I am, I don't think I could do that. Like look at the bigger picture and try to like find efficiencies and things mm-hmm. like that. And like the cross, I don't know, cross. Yeah. Cross cutting uh, functionality. Yes. Like all the, okay. all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> let me, let me give like a really real example. Yes, please. So, did you know uh, PayPal acquired Venmo back in like 2013? No, had no clue. Okay, okay a lot of people don't know, but this okay. is a plug. Venmo is a, a PayPal product. So, uh, but but you know what PayPal is, right? Like yes. it's this very old P2P like money sending system. Uh huh. I so, mean, PayPal was I feel like the original exactly. money sy- sending system through the internet. That's right. If you didn't want to do a bank, you used PayPal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's how you sent money to your friends and family. Venmo is kind of the same thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when the acquisition happened in 2013, this is the moment the architect steps in and says, well, now we have $2 billion companies that do money transfer. Mm-hmm. So chances are you have a lot of redundant code. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of systems doing the same duplicative thing. So we're losing a lot of potential in terms of operating expenses by running both of those payments rails. So what if we took best in breed, let's just say it was PayPal's payments rails, and started running Venmo transactions through that instead? Then you can deprecate and sunset all of that Venmo infrastructure and use a properly scaled, uh, well-designed payments rails to manage both of those brands. And that would save you guys money too. Totally. And it would make for a better customer experience. Like now you can interlink your PayPal transactions and your Venmo transactions. You could see them. What if you wanted to do like cross-platform payments? Like if you wanted to Venmo me something to my PayPal account, now you could do that. Wow. Okay. So that, and then, so an architect is the one that would kind of like conceive all of this and bring it in. Is he the one that like, he tells a team and there's developers that do it or? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. I'm like so amazed right now. It's so fascinating. <laughs> I, I get really like passionate about it too. And, no, and it I gets really it. exciting. And when when you're at a company like PayPal, which is extremely acquisitive, like we have happy returns, we have mm-hmm. honey, we have Braintree. These I don't know are, what you're saying right now, Gabe. What is okay. that? <laughs> Those are all different brands. You don't okay, have to okay. you, you've heard of honey, right? The, oh, no. it's like coupons in your browser. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, right? Yes. Okay, so 
let, let's just take that. Now you've got PayPal, you've got Venmo, you've got Honey. Uh-huh. And so there's common functionality for all of these. Like uh-huh. at, even at the most base level of software, like for example, you probably need something that alerts you if something goes wrong in any of these systems. Sure. Why would I use three different alerting mechanisms? Right. Why would I pay for these three different, I don't know, vendors who do alerting? Like I should just use one set of observability tools to tell me if anything goes wrong across those systems. And Mm -hmm. if you dig into it, PayPal has acquired, I don't know, tens, 20, I don't know, 30 different companies in its lifetime. I see. So there's so much opportunity for efficiency here. I see. Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, I did not know that about PayPal, but that makes sense that you would need an enterprise architect to be able to do that. Um, So, okay. Um, Is there more? I'd like to get into your role specifically. Absolutely. Uh, Well, there's, there's one more part, which is the enterprise platform experience. Okay. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) the, the best way to describe that is our team creates the tools that developers use to develop code. So you're you're talking like what does that even mean? <laughs> you're like at the lowest level of the stack. I'll give a very easy analogy. Okay, okay. We make the hammers and the screwdrivers okay. for people to go build stuff. And how does one do that? It's like the most I, I would say complex level of engineering you can get because like who who's making software to develop software, right? Like yeah, that you, seems it's like almost like redundant, or it's it's almost like self like a, a feedback loop, but um, we, we have to create uh, tools that make the developer experience easy and fast and accelerated. Let me, let me uh, put it in, in realistic terms. PayPal is over 10,000 engineers, right? Okay, yeah. If everyone was using different variations of tools, it would be a mess. Like let's, you know, let's take another real example of you're building a house, right? If you hired 10 different workers who use 10 different screw sizes or nail sizes, your house isn't going to be well-designed. It's going to be a total mess. Right. So we need to provide some consistent tools, some reliable tools. Uh So 10,000 engineers can all be productive, fast, uh, have a good experience. We want developers to be happy. Um, If there's anyone who's picky in this world, it's software developers. Like they're going to be like, I need my tools to have this feature. Otherwise I can't write code. Hands in the air, right? Okay, so like, okay. um, Is it kind of like... Everyone using Adobe Creative Suite? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Okay. But you're, you're, it, it's like slightly lower on okay. the stack, which okay. is like the software that creates Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah, right, right, sense. right. So like, uh, right. I guess what I'm trying to say is um, like you would be the one creating Adobe Creative Suite for right. people to be creative. Like exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. Like you're going to make this podcast later. You're going to edit it up. But someone yes. made the software to let you do that. Right. Exactly. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a pretty tough gig. Uh, I I would just reinforce like engineers are so picky. Like you as a creator, I'm sure you have like choices and right. options. Is it yeah. Adobe? Am I going to use Sony? Am I going to use Final Cut? Right. And all of these competitors are fighting to get your share of saying, I like using this product. So engineers are the same way. We have a wide variety of tools that we use every single day. There's so many open source tools also out there that are totally free. So we as PayPal want to extend some set of tools that we think are best, that we think best represents our company. That when a developer joins the company, they say, wow, the tools here are better than those at Google. Like I can develop software so much better here. Right. (gasps) So, so that's also what our team does. That's insane. Okay. 
so you are it's the fun. chief of staff <laughs> for for the guy who oversees all that. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a busy man. <laughs> it's a little busy. Um, so I, I think now we can get into the role. Okay. So yeah. In the beginning, you said like the chief of staff is kind of the second in command, and that's very much true. Mm. I think my relationship with my boss is very special and very nuanced. Mm. Um, a chief of staff is someone who basically can do everything the boss does and then some, right? If there's something my boss needs, um, he'll say, Gabe, can you take care of it? Whether it's mm. writing some code, whether it's designing something, uh, a presentation to senior leadership, uh, you, you really do act as kind of the doppelganger or a force multiplier of your boss. Um, in addition to that, you can't be a perfect copy. You mm-hmm. kind of have to have your own opinion because you're also the confidant. You're the most trusted person on the executive's team. So my boss will come to me one-on-one, ask some very intimate private stuff, like, should we let someone go? Or is is this the right decision? Sometimes he may not have the clarity and want to use me as a sounding board. So I do need to bring my own opinion. I do need to be the person that he values uh, in terms of my own opinion, in terms of my own thoughts, because he will use that to formulate his own decision. Right. Wow. Okay. So like, um, you're saying that basically you do all the same, like you are capable of doing all the same stuff that he does, um, as an architect and all these things. Um, and on top of that, you are his sounding board. That's good. That's, um, honestly, Gabe, to me, it sounds really stressful, but I'm sure you love it. It is pretty stressful. I I mean, I still need to give my credit to my boss because naturally I can't do everything he does perfectly well, Sure. but, um, I'm an extension of it very yeah. much. So, so, yeah. you know, day-to-day responsibilities of the chief architect, one of the top executives, he, he can't go running around and having a conversation with the 500 engineers that report up to him. Right. A lot of people will use me as that back channel instead as someone who's accessible, as someone who can be trusted as someone who has kind of an in with the senior leadership. Um, so very much so, like, I, I act in my boss's uh, capacity in certain proxy situations when he can't make it. He only has eight hours in a day, right? Mm-hmm. So why not make it 16 with mm-hmm. the chief of staff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is fun. It's stressful. And it's very um, unpredictable. Man, okay. So with that being said, I guess I was going to ask, what does a typical day look like for you? But maybe there is no <laughs> typical day. <laughs> there, there definitely isn't. Um, I think that, well... The day starts with the calendar uh, and the calendar changes like on the fly overnight. Mm. Um, things will fly in from left field. Sometimes my boss's boss will say, for example, I need some metrics. I need some data on one part of the developer tool chain. Like, can you give that to me? And my boss isn't going to have the time to run around and gather that information. That'll be my responsibility. Mm. Or the day will start off with, hey, we have like a full day session to redesign our payment system. We need to rethink how we're like running card transactions and we need to bring in the right subject matter experts. We need to bring in the right architects and, and just have a design session. Mm-hmm. By the way, I can't be there, so you go do it, right? Like that that kind of stuff happens just on the fly. Okay. <laughs> uh, or, or, I mean, like there, there's so, so many random things that could happen. For example, hiring. Hiring is a very big deal. Right. Um, everything you do is based on how good your team is. Right. And I firmly believe like if I only had one good thing I was at, like if I could only be good at one thing in the world, it would be hiring. 
because then everything would be like taken care of. I could just hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes I spend the whole day just trying to help my boss through interviews, interviewing mm-hmm. different people that we want to bring into the company, sure. uh, just monitoring things as they go along, crafting uh, offer packages also means laying people off and having those tough conversations, trying yeah. to uh, make our organization more efficient. Right. So any of those topics can spring up from left field. Uh, it, it really does just depend on what's like a priority at that moment. Wow. I mean, that really sounds very important. All of it. You're just so important. <laughs> That's all I could think. But um, okay, like how does one become chief of staff to this very important person at PayPal? <laughs> I think, um, and and it's in a way, I would say a coveted role. Uh, and they do exist in many large enterprises. Like mm-hmm. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, the president, they're all going to have chiefs of staffs. Sure. Um, so I guess one is making an effort to look for those jobs. You, you can search it up. I'm sure if you're on LinkedIn or Indeed or Glassdoor, like those, those job openings will exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the harder part is how do you land a job? Yeah. And it's uh, a kind of a toss up, but I would say it goes back to, right. These roles are so nuanced that it depends on what your leader needs. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at a job description for a chief of staff, Uh, who may be the CFO, let's just take an example. Chances are you're going to have to do some finance stuff. So you better have a finance background. Mm. Um, For this architecture role, my roots are as a software engineer. So I'm a better fit for a chief of staff or a chief architect. Yeah. Um, I want to be able to understand the context of uh, what my boss does, what kind of projects or strategic initiatives he wants to lead. So if I don't have that background, it's going to be harder. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some other requirements, but it kind of, goes to my journey, I guess, uh, because for example, some people may say you should have an MBA. Mm-hmm. You should have some understanding of business. And I learned it, uh, I landed my first chief of staff role without an MBA. So I guess later I can, I can dive into that and, and how that planned out. But I mean, some other skills that would be relevant are like strategic planning, uh, familiarity, uh, running an organization, mm-hmm. financial hygiene, budget planning, leading large teams. And then, like I said, on top of all that, you need to have like those special, like nuanced skills, right? Right. If it's a finance executive, you better know your finance. If it's an engineering executive, you better be a good engineer. I feel overwhelmed because (laughs) I just, no, because I mean, I feel like you're right. It is a very coveted role. I feel like a lot of people would be gunning for a job like that. Um, But for me, it's like, I'm just curious, Gabe, like, do you feel like you interviewed well or like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what yeah. is the inside scoop here? Because I, I'm sure there are a lot of software engineers, you know, and um, coming out of a technical school, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that I'm sure could qualify mm-hmm. for a job like this, but you know, is there any inside information? Did you, did you say something that you felt like stuck with them or? So before I was the chief of staff for my current boss, I was also a chief of staff at American Express prior to PayPal. So I had another, I had another leader there and that was actually my first gig as a chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned, what did I say during the interview? And so at the time I was unemployed, I was job hunting and I was kind of like throwing resumes everywhere, left and right. Like, you know, the desperation of like sure, being jobless, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, I saw this 
posting as a chief of staff or an enterprise architect at American Express. And I said, why not? Like, I'll, I'll take anything at this point. I don't know what it means, okay. right? Like, I was like, where you're at. Um, and, you know, in the, the qualifications, it said, you need an MBA. You need to be good at finance. You need to be good at blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know, whatever. I threw, I threw my resume in. So they called me up and they were like, hey, actually, we're like pretty interested in interviewing you. And I asked, oh, sure, like, why not? I questioned why. Um, and when I went into the interview, um, my soon-to-be boss basically said, hey, I saw you have a very strong engineering background mm-hmm. and you lack all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gutsy of you to like try to apply. So I was kind of embarrassed. But he said, but why, why did you apply? Mm-hmm. And in the moment, I was thinking to myself, you're going to have a harder time finding someone with a you know, business background who's good at engineering than taking an engineer who can pick up business on the fly. Sure, yeah. I think, you know, both are important skills, but in terms of like what you're going to find on the market, it's, it's going to be much harder to find like an engineer who has good business acumen, who is empathetic, a good people person. Um, and then I would also say you need to have executive presence mm. and the ability to articulate because you are your boss's doppelganger, your boss's shadow. And in many cases, presenting to senior leadership without him as a proxy you may need to talk to the CIO or the CEO one-on-one and actually have a quality conversation, not crack under pressure, right? Right, right. Um, stand behind your boss's beliefs, right? Um, so, so that executive presence is so critical. Mm-hmm. And I would say I learned most of that on the job at American Express, but I was very lucky that my boss then took a chance on me because I felt like I could learn those skills on the job yeah. But I had the fundamentals of engineering, which he desperately needed. Oh, why did he need it? Well, I mean, he was an enterprise architect, right? So uh... who, who's going to be his double in a software design meeting when he can't be there? I guess. Right? Okay. okay. You, you, oh, you I guess. So we're talking about American Express or we're talking about PayPal, right? At now? the moment, we're talking about American Express, but okay. it still applies to PayPal. So so get this. When you're, when you're a chief of staff... Um, naturally you're going to have a lot of exposure to senior leadership. Uh-huh. People will see you and other chief of staffs will see you. Like if there's uh, seven C like level a executives of chief of staffs, <laughs> basically anyone with the title chief in their name will have a chief of staff, uh-huh. right? A CEO, a CFO, a CTO. Right. right. That's how I met my current boss. At PayPal. <gasps> I so see. as soon as um, my boss at Amex left, uh, my current boss who's at PayPal tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, are you looking for a chief of staff gig for me? I was like, mm. why not? And so that's kind of how it, it came about. And I definitely attribute a lot of my career to luck. I think, uh, you know, I was very blessed that like these leaders took a chance on me. Mm. And I, I think, you know, part of it goes down to, right, just sending those applications out. Even if you're not sure, right, like I did not qualify. If I looked at that list, I don't have an MBA. I don't have like five years work experience. It seems so foolish. Um, but, you know, these leaders who are looking for a chief of staff, they need that chemistry. They need that fit because yeah. there's a lot of people out there, right? A lot of people, like you said, who may have the qualifications, but there's like a human connection. You have to have like that personal relationship with that leader for them to say, I think this person is the person for me. It's like finding a significant other. No, yeah, I love that. And I think there's a lot of truth to that truth to that especially for someone that is um like they confide in you and they right. really have to trust you too um yeah man that that makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. um 
Because, you know, you can't always work well with everybody, even right. if they have the right qualifications. And it's hard to trust someone, even at that level, right, of mm-hmm. the C-suite people. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I mean, the chief of staff becomes one of your closest people. So Yeah, it, it was insane. I was like talking to like my boss at like one in the morning about the most random stuff right just like talking about like life struggle it wasn't even work related I was like what have we become like we're best friends at this point (laughs) so cool (laughs) so cool okay so I have to ask like you kind of mentioned you didn't always set out to be chief of staff to somebody Mm -hmm. um so can you take me back like even to like high school like what was the journey for you did you always want to go into software engineering Mm -hmm. So I, I did not. I, I think in high school, I was very all over the place. Um, maybe if I rewind a little more, I knew as a, a kid, I liked building stuff. Mm-hmm. I liked toys like any kid does and things like train sets or Legos. Like I, I was big on those. Uh, in high school, I spent most of my time playing video games. I think that a lot of your viewers will relate to that. Yeah. Um, Maple Story, if you've heard of that yes. game, I, was, I sank so many hours in that game, like just life wasted. But um, actually, one thing that I did in Maple Story specifically, though, was I spent a lot of time hacking that game uh, just for fun. Huh. Um, I, I was just interested in like, how can I cheat at this video game so that way I could get like all the strong items or level up faster. So, so that was kind of a, a side gig. But in high school, like my grades were not good. I, I didn't really care. I was very awkward. I was very introverted. I got bullied a good amount. Um, and, and I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do, mm. but a lot of influence came from my parents. Mm. So my mom, who is also a software engineer, she's a systems engineer. She works in IT. You know, she was saying, hey, it's like junior year. You better start like figuring out what you want to do. Like go to <laughs> apply some, apply to some schools. Like do something in STEM, like it, it's reliable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I applied to a bunch of schools, but you know, for major, like I didn't know what I was doing. I figured like engineering makes sense. I, I was too squeamish for medicine. Mm-hmm. Law didn't interest me, right? So I was like, okay, engineering sounds fine. In fact, I put civil engineering. Oh, uh, for... David Civil. Oh, okay. So like yeah. city planning and all that stuff. Um, he's structural, but Got in it. the civil department, but <laughs> like that, that was my major going into Georgia Tech. Like I, I really, I'm pretty sure I just took a dart and like threw it at the board yeah. and I'm like, Oh, it's civil engineering. <laughs> like, let's go for it's it. It's safe. It's safe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I was like, I don't know. And also, um, I mean, I was so foolish back then, but I didn't know how much debt I would incur from going to college. Uh, I mean, I graduated with like over six figures of debt. And it was all so loans. Crazy. Like we we couldn't pay for it out of pocket. We didn't have that kind of money. So yeah. had to take out the loans for it. But at the time I was like, Georgia Tech's a good school. And it's one of the schools that accepted me. I didn't want to stay local. I think I had a desire to kind of like forge my own path. And, you know, everyone was going to like that local school uh, in New Jersey, Rutgers, right? So I was like, uh, I think I want to do something different. Like mm. kind of want to trailblaze a little bit. I think part of it was also just trying to escape um, my hometown, like, I was an awkward kid. I was really like a, a big loser. Like that I don't know how else to explain. Seems like so it. hard for me to believe, but <laughs> I but I totally get it. Was. I still am. No. <laughs> but, but but like you know, like you're you're that teen who just like doesn't know what they want. You're not comfortable in your own skin, right? You, mm-hmm. you feel uh, insecure about everything, and yeah. that was totally me. So, mm-hmm. uh, just ended up going to Georgia Tech 
on a win. Like grades were just good enough to get by. Um, I'm I'm not smart. Like I, I can assure you that. So if someone's struggling with grades right now, like any of your viewers, like work hard, but like don't feel like discouraged if your grades aren't good. I always joke like when all my friends graduated, you know, they have those like honor cords and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have one of those. So I used to, <laughs> I used to like ask people, how'd you get those ropes around your neck? And they were like, <laughs> look at you now, Gabe. Look at I you still now. don't have one. <laughs> but, but, um, and then one of my friends recently was like, doesn't everyone get them? I was like, hello. <laughs> um, That's funny. But, but I ended up going to tech and it was on day one, actually, where, you know, you have that freshman orientation and you get those name tags and it's like, yeah. hello, my name is blank and I major in blank. Uh-huh. Uh, I was told at that moment, this is your last chance to change your major. <gasps> and so I wrote, hello, my name is Gabe. And I majored in and I thought about it for a second and I was like, okay, what is civil engineering? It's like city planning, it's structural engineering, it's like building stuff. And I was like, I don't think I like that. So on the fly, I just thought, well, what do I like? And I knew I liked video games. I knew that I liked hacking Maple Story, right? I did not know what that would mean as a career, but I was like, let's go with computer engineering. And so wow. I just wrote it. Totally like unplanned, right? My mom was in like uh, IT, she was an engineer too. So I think there was some influence there. It's like, oh, can't can't go wrong if you follow in mom's footsteps, right? Um, so I, I just wrote it down and then graduated. So that that was like the, the first step. So before I get into like the career part, I guess, and any thoughts on like the school part? Um, yeah, I mean, so since it was kind of on the fly, mm -hmm. when you started taking your classes for computer engineering, mm -hmm. was it, I mean, like, okay, I... I have this very vivid memory. I think it was before, like, we, we like, met, like, mm -hmm. me and you. But do you remember um, a guy named Sang? Do you remember Sang? Last name Lee or something else? Well, there's, there's Sangbom and Sangyeop. Okay, are you talking about Sangbom? No, um... Or, okay, or am I, I? Yes, I am. Sangbom. Okay, he's like okay. a, he's a doctor now. You know, he has a PhD and like. Don't remember. Okay, but... like don't quote me on all this. But anyways, <laughs> he was he. I just remember my David, and then like mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other people in uh -huh. a dorm room, and Sangbom was like tutoring them, like oh, wow. in their in their CS class because. Uh -huh. Everyone was like, so David had never been exposed to like computer engineering, or computer science when he grew up in Brazil. Okay. And so he was like, he regrets it now. He like wishes he could do it now. But um, I just remember it being, a, everyone felt very challenged in uh -huh. this class. So like when you started taking, is that a similar experience for you? Or you oh, were yeah. like, this is easy. I, or No, no, no. I, I can't emphasize enough. When I graduated, no rope. Like yeah. <laughs> Grades were not good. Um, I failed a few classes. I had to retake a few classes. Uh -huh. So it's a, um, it's a hard, it's a challenging major is what you're saying. I mean, and challenging is, I know, like um, unique to the individual. Yes. Right? Some people are going to be like, this is insanely easy. Yeah. My wife's insanely smart, right? She, she gets A's, right? Um, for me, it was challenging. Uh, but I think in, you know, after freshman and sophomore year, because you take your like core classes first, right? Okay. And then you get exposed to the major classes. And okay. dang, was I bad at those major classes. Um, but you kind of realize like, well, what are my goals in life? And sometimes you need to make a sacrifice and you can't always do what you love for a living. Like I love actually 
um, cinematography. Like I like making videos. I also like dancing, right? But when I think about like, what are my long-term goals? And one of my goals was, well, one, I need to pay off all this debt that I signed up for. Like that's the financially responsible thing to do. Yeah. Um, and eventually like establish a family, right? Mm. And so to do that, maybe I need to see this engineering thing through. Sure. And yeah. <laughs> hopefully, you know, all the studies show, like if you graduate with a CS degree, you should be able to make like six figures at some point in your life, mm-hmm. right? It's a very financially stable career. So I was like, okay, like if I survive by some like miracle, maybe I'll be able to get a job like that, pay off this debt and then and live a like, pretty good life. So, nice. you know, you're, you're kind of growing up, you're like, you know, 19 or 20 years old and you kind of do have those questions of well what do I want to do and I think at the top of my list was establish a good family Mm. and I was willing to do whatever it took to to reach that goal and part Mm. of that is being financially stable yeah yeah so mission accomplished the computer engineering like level of getting your degree yeah um, no ropes but it's okay yeah, yeah. no one it's asks, asks yes nobody asked <laughs> <laughs> no gpa on my resume yes exactly <laughs> you guys actually this is very important young people like seriously no one asks you your sat score after you graduate high school it's nobody cares <laughs> yeah actually small tangent because you hinted at it with uh david but a lot of studies show and my company also and my team is very invested in this A lot of studies show that people who come from other disciplines and then choose to pivot into CS make for better engineers in the workplace than people who graduated with CS degrees. Really? So we will totally entertain a like law student or someone who went to med school or someone who's a civil engineer and says, hey, I want to I want to get an entry level job at Amazon. I want to get an entry level job at PayPal. Right. We'll totally look at that resume. And if they're willing to go through like a boot camp for four months, five months, we will totally hire that person. And statistically, they will make for very good engineers. I think it's because they bring like outside perspective. Mm. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're like 30 years old, 40 years old, if you wanted to do like a six month boot camp, right, just take some CS courses. And then you wanted to be an entry level developer at one of these tech companies. It's totally possible. Wow, that's really good to know. And I know David's going to listen to this and be like, hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm so serious. Like companies are finding out that like people who bring these external perspectives actually make for better products wow. in these tech companies because you're, you're thinking outside the box, right? You're thinking of like, what does that mean to me as maybe like a doctor? What does that mean to me as a structural engineer? And a lot of the stuff we talk about in enterprise architecture is very analogous to probably what your husband does. Mm-hmm. When when I describe the role, sometimes I say like, if if you're gonna write good software, it's kind of like building a good house, right? You gotta yeah. use like, you gotta follow like the National Electric Code for for one example. Like you can't just wire up your house and hope the lights turn on. Right. Same thing right. for software. Like you gotta build it right. So mm. it's very cool. I mean, no, I appreciate you even bringing that up though, because I feel like a lot of people just need permission. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, me, I'm not a big risk taker. Right. And I feel like that, that it just you saying it is sounds risky. Mm-hmm. However, um, I feel like you also saying that really encourages whoever's listening mm-hmm. to not be scared to try. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I would almost say the, the risk is low. Like the ROI is so good. You know, you could, these boot camps that exist today are very self paced. So if you took like one course a month, Mm-hmm. Uh, on your own time and mm-hmm. finished in a year, uh, 
you, you could totally quit your job at the end of that and apply to some jobs and land that tech job that you might've always wanted. Also, um, engineering is not as glamorous as people think, I would mm-hmm. say. It's very much like a, a grunt work kind of thing. Like you go to work, you code, you go home, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's kind of like a trade. You don't actually need a degree for it. You know, I always tell my um, team, if you find like a guy who dropped out of college, dropped out of high school, but writes amazing code, like you hire that person. Right. Yeah. Right. They have the skills. Who cares? Like if they didn't go to Harvard, who cares if they didn't go to Georgia Tech? Uh, They they know what to do. And that's what matters. Mm. Wow. That's so interesting. Like literally you're saying the op. like even me, I'm like thinking about my own kids, like Eli Mm -hmm. and Zoe. And it's like. Will they? Will, will there be college? Like you know, by the time because it's like it's so true. I think if you just know what you're doing and love it, mm-hmm. you can be really good at it, whether you have yeah. the background or not. But anyways, a whole another conversation. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so after you graduate, what yeah. started happening for you? Because I feel like computer engineers are a hot ticket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it would there the opportunities would be endless, but is that true or is that a myth or? I would say uh, job security is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I applied to a bunch of places, got a couple offers. Uh, I ended up going to AT and T for my first job as a network design engineer. Um, so close, closely related. Uh, I, I think that's one of the benefits of having a software degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody watching was like, oh, I just want to, I want to have very good job security really it's like tech or medicine are kind of the ways to go or yeah, STEM right. fields. So I got a job offer at AT&T. Um, it's not a fan company. It's not glamorous, but uh, my goal was like, you know, I go back to like, what are, what are my goals in life? What are my values? And I definitely had to tackle the student debt. So I wasn't going to wait around for the perfect job at like a dream company. Right. Everybody wants to say I went to Google or I went to Microsoft or I went to Apple. Right. Um, you know, after like a couple of months, you're like, this is the best I've got. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. Um, started working, not too passionate about it, but I'm a hard worker. So that's fine. Pays the bills. It pays the debt. Right. Did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then I moved to New York. Still with an AT&T, I did an internal move and I started doing RF engineering, which is still related to network engineering. Probably not too important to get into the details of, but like we designed cell sites. So that okay, way you can okay, use... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can use your cell phone, right? Yes, yes. Um, New York's actually a fascinating place to do that because it's so cluttered and, and there's so many people. Oh, so it, it is so. more challenging. You know, like in Georgia, you just put the big tower yeah, up and then you yeah. can make your phone calls. New York's a little more complicated, but that was actually where uh, I had kind of a toxic relationship with my manager. And oh, so tough. Yeah. kind of got set up, you know, I'd been with AT&T for three years and I would say I took one of the biggest risks of my career, which was quitting without an offer lined up. Uh, I was just sick of it. You know, my boss was micromanaging me, did not have fun going to work. You know, every day you'd like dread like just waking up because you know you have to sit in that office for like eight hours right so at some point you know I had been applying but nothing was biting and I was just done Mm -hmm. so I put in my resignation uh and you know a lot of the things that I was saying earlier about like you have job security um you know it's a struggle but I I think having a tech background helps I was unemployed for three months and there were some very big lows during that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, three months of unemployment in the big picture is not that bad. 
And if you plan appropriately for it, uh, you can get through it. You know, yeah. you should have some savings and stuff like that. I still had debt, but mm-hmm. you know, I was going to live. Yeah. Um, actually for anyone who may be like struggling with, should I quit my job? Um, it goes back to like weighing those risks. And there was one day specifically while I was unemployed, where I was just like crying. I was having a really bad day. I was like, nobody's hiring me. Like nobody's interviewing me. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why did I quit my job? And my mom happened to be visiting the city on that day. And so, you know, I met up with her. I wasn't crying obviously, but I, I just said, Hey mom, how's it going? And I don't know, like mom's intuition, but like, she just said like, you look so sad right now. Like what's wrong. And, you know, I basically said, it's been like three months, like nobody's hiring me. Like what's going on. Mm -hmm. I thought I had a CS degree. It'd be easy. I'm like studying. I'm like doing whatever it takes. I'm sending like hundreds of applications every day. Uh, And she basically gave me the comfort of if, if things don't work out, it's going to be okay. Cause mom's here. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of that saving grace. And, uh, that really put like a lot of relief on my mental state. And, you know, we're really blessed if, you know, we have families who are always going to be able to like take you home and feed you. Right. Like if you do have that privilege, um, like that's that's such a blessing, like don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause when things go really bad, like mom and dad are going to be there for you. And so she gave me that confidence boost, sent a few more applications out, and one of those applications was that random application to American Express for that cheapo staff role. That is so crazy. <laughs> what a, I mean, like, you know, I appreciate your transparency, Gabe, because, you know, and you addressed it. I was going to ask, um, you know, I feel like when it comes to working and like, you know, cause you said it, it, it's, it's nice to go in and love your job, but you mm-hmm. don't, that's not always. And most likely you're not going to always find like something you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. That is a goal of my podcast, honestly, because mm-hmm. I want people to be able to do that. But sometimes it is just about the grind and the hustle. Right. Um, but you know, w- I guess I was going to ask you, um, how did you know, like, you know what? Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I can only grind it out so much. And, yeah. you know, I think, um, I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know how you feel about it. But I remember my first job, mm-hmm. I hated my life. Oh, no. Are they listening? And, and then, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say any names. But, like, um, I thought like I just thought like that's what working was like and so Mm -hmm. I just kept going but I was miserable and then I remember the same same conversation maybe similar to your you and your mom Mm -hmm. um but I had it before I quit and I Mm -hmm. I remember calling my mom finally and just being like crying and my mom was like what is wrong and I said (laughs) because she thought I was fine you know I had I had a job everything was great and then Mm -hmm. I I was like mom I hate going to work Mm -hmm. and she's like quit what are you doing just quit (laughs) like that's not why you know um so i again my my personality as i mentioned earlier i need like permission sometimes Uh to do things like that but for you i'm curious like was it just like a really bad day and you were like Mm. i'm done or what did any revelation come or i think uh, there was a lot of things at once. Mm. Um, I am a risk averse person actually. Mm. 
So it's kind of crazy to say that I quit my job without something lined up. But, you know, I had to look at what are my responsibilities and obligations. And if you're young and if you're in your 20s, you probably have a little more leeway and risks you can take. Like now's the time to quit a job without something lined up, right? Um, It's better to like turn the ship like earlier in the course rather than like last minute, right? So if, you know, you're at your job, having a terrible time. I was having a terrible time, you know, take some precautions. I had like a safety net of money in case. And and actually that safety net was for three months. I was like, if at the end of three months I run out of money, well, I guess I'm not eating, but mm-hmm. um, you know, those are some of the precautions you can take to help mitigate that risk. Yeah. Obviously nothing is guaranteed in life, right. but you know, kind of be wise about it. I would, you know, have a different perspective if, for example, out of a child, right? Like if I had to provide for someone, if someone was dependent on me and their life was dependent upon my income, maybe I wouldn't have had that luxury. So I I still go back to evaluate the risks, see what you can do to prepare, to mitigate those risks. Um, And then, you know, if things, you know, the, the ROI is worth it, take the leap, right? Like just quit, see how it plays out. And, yeah. and hopefully things will be in your favor. <laughs> well, for you, it sounds like um, the risk was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we already talked kind of about what, you, what your role was at American right. Express. And currently, um, I'm curious, was there a learning curve for you as you started your job at American Express as chief of staff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think imposter syndrome is oh. definitely so painful. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> I I walked in there and, you know, as my boss's chief of staff, you get that respect and you get that um, attention from people who are like, this is, this is the guy's shadow. Like this right. is the guy's second like people, command. Do people suck up to you and stuff? I'm sure they have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see through it. No right? doubt. No doubt. Some people set up meetings with me and they're just like, hey, I just wanted to tell you about what I'm doing. I was like, yeah, I get it. I, I know what this is about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, you know, it's, it felt like the, the shoes were so big when sure. I showed up. And and my boss also had some expectations because I, I had that grandiose gesture of like, That's I can learn right. on the job, mm-hmm. right? I, I got you covered on the engineering side. I got to learn the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was patient with me, um, had some tough times, had to ask a lot of questions. And I, I think that's key, right? Um, nobody actually hires you because you're overqualified. People expect you to actually have to learn on the job. Otherwise, they would hire you as the CTO, right? Mm-hmm. The reason they hire you at a specific level is because you belong at that level and you can grow at that level. Mm-hmm. If you were actually above that level, they would hire you at the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So when I came in, a lot of learning, a lot of tough conversations, a lot of questions. Um, but I, I would say uh, anyone who's willing to learn, and maybe that goes back to interdisciplinary backgrounds, right? As an engineer, you're kind of expected to be inquisitive. You're kind of expected to ask questions and to continuously learn. Like that's part of software. Technology is always evolving. Mm -hmm. So I think that background helps me adapt to the business side. It's like, I'm just learning another programming language, but it's about money. Or I'm just learning another process. It's about hiring. Like I can figure that stuff out. Um, Actually, what I think is is still more important is learning how to interact with a team. as the chief of staff, you're very influential and you have a lot of oversight over individuals. You may not be their direct leader, but in a way you are because you are your boss, right? right? So learning like what makes a good leader, what makes a good 
manager, what are like the do's and don'ts were very important. Uh, I give a lot of credit to that actually to KC3 and Impact and the dance team, right? Um, you said something very flattering in the beginning about leadership. And I think like everything that we did with Sunjangship and discipleship, um, leading a dance team and corralling like 30 people together onto a common vision. Like, isn't that what our bosses do every day in, yes. in a different way, right? Yes. So I give a lot of credit to that experience. No, yeah. I mean, I um, definitely see that. And I think, you know, ministry, it teaches us a lot of things um, in leadership, but also in like, it's very humbling, you know, mm-hmm. especially I think when you uh, put the the God aspect into it, honestly, you know, because right. it's like your, your extension of leadership is coming from this place of grace, mm-hmm. um, yet you still are in charge of people. So it's like very yeah. like, yes, I get what you're saying. But um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. Um, I, I'm curious, like, what is the most challenging part of your job currently? Man, it's, it's all over the place. Um, I would say feeling the gravity of an organization on your shoulders. Man, that's Um, so deep. I didn't (laughs) didn't expect you to say that. (laughs) That was going to be more like technical, but no, no, because like it goes back to like technology. You can learn it. Yeah. Like business processes, you could pick it up, right? Yeah. I think if you have a mind to learn, like you'll figure it out. What I personally struggle with is just knowing that there's a team of 500 whose day-to-day responsibilities, whose career aspirations, whose goals in life, just as important as my own, hinge upon like some of the decisions I choose to make yeah. and that my boss chooses to make. If my boss and I decide to let someone go, that is someone's whole livelihood impacted. Mm. If my boss and I decide, you know, we're not going to work on this. We think this is the right project to work on for the next three to five years. That steers the company's direction, right? And and what our prospects are as a payments company. So all of those heavy decisions, I think sometimes can get to me. Mm. Um, There's a lot of weight. Like I'll just be I do this thing where I'm just in the shower and I'm just like, I'm lost. Like, I'm just mm. thinking like the water is hitting me. My mm. eyes are like bugging. And all I can think about is like, do I do this or do I do that? Do I do this or do I do that? Like pros and cons, like constantly weighing because like, these aren't decisions that are just like, what am I going to eat for lunch? These are decisions of like, should PayPal acquire a company, right? Yeah, yeah. Billions of dollars at stake, engineers livelihood at stake. And, yeah. and so those are the kind of things that I would say make it challenging. Yeah. That's, heavy man (laughs) (laughs) but I mean like I think those those decisions and whether you work at like any other profession or you're just a human being those decisions actually help you grow the most and Mm. I I wouldn't be surprised if you as a mom made some of those tough decisions right like do I give up my job to become a mother or you know what is this going to mean for my family and and anybody who's at those special crossroads in life like those times are few and so when you do find yourself in those challenging decision moments I would say lean into it because Mm. you're going to grow a ton from those uh, special like decision points yeah no I mean there's definitely uh sound advice to what you're saying and I am in complete agreement because I mean it's those pain points where we grow the most and 
Uh, it's but it's hard to get through them and yeah. face them. But you really have no choice because yeah. it's your job. So. <laughs> exactly, I signed up for it. Yay! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. Okay, so what is the thing you like most about your job? Okay, so I, I figured this question was coming, and I think it's I don't I don't like I don't like software engineering, right? We we talked about this. Like I just did it. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I actually, on that note, if anyone's wondering, like, I want to pursue my dream, right? Like, like things that I enjoy most are video games and video editing, <laughs> but I, I don't like, it's strange, but like, I don't want to pollute those things by mm-hmm. making it a job. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've had to do that before. I've had to edit videos for people that I didn't want to like do it as a job. And that process wasn't fun. Like I want to do it on my own time with my own vision. And so, you know, that, that's just a, a tangent, but if anyone's saying, like, I have to do what I enjoy, otherwise, like, I, I won't be happy, like, no, sometimes it's good to keep those things sacred, right? Um, but what I enjoy the most is, is kind of related to what I hate about the job. I think it's it's just leading people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in, I enjoy corralling people behind a vision. I think I enjoy uh, bringing people along and saying, like, this is what we can do to be very successful. And I, I love seeing my engineers thrive and grow. Like when they get promoted, like I feel like I got promoted. And when people get raises, like I feel like I got a raise. And when we like smash a project, we beat deadlines and like customers are like using this new product and they're loving it. It's just like, it's just this feeling of like, you know, I'm not passionate about making money move. Like that's, that's who cares. But when I see the team, people who are passionate about seeing the money move, like when when I see those people, their faces light up. And when I see their careers prosper and they, you know, they celebrate, then I feel like I did my role as the chief of staff and as their leader because I helped them accomplish something they wanted to do. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love the, I mean, I'm just obsessed in general with like the concept of investment into people, mm-hmm. seeing the fruits, but also the mobilization to for one cause. Like, I mean, it's like amazing, you know, yeah. that feeling. So I um, totally resonate. And mm-hmm. I, um, okay, actually, sorry, this is a really random question. Yeah. It's not related to what we're talking about currently, but um I'm curious about like the Asian American representation mm-hmm. in your field of work. Like not necessarily like um software engineering, mm-hmm. but even just like chief of staff to C-suite level people. Right. Um yeah, are you familiar with with that at all? Yeah, yeah. I think um it, it is a conversation that comes up. Naturally at at this level, conversations about diversity and inclusion, um they're a must. Mm. Uh, all of these different companies are trying to find ways to be more inclusive and be more accepting. Uh, I would say in tech companies, there's a fair amount of Asian representation, um, Asian male representation, (laughs) (laughs) if I had to be specific. Um, I don't want to say anything that gets me in trouble, but uh, I think it's, it's important to always think of ways we could be more diverse and more inclusive. Mm. Uh, that is actually a very contentious conversation that comes up in the workplace very often because there's these conversations of, should we have quotas, right? Um, should there be a certain ratio of female engineers to male engineers? I think those conversations are very difficult because we want to be those inclusive companies, but we don't want to... We don't want to be in those conversations where it's like, do I sacrifice skill just yeah. to meet a quota? 
right? Do I pass up on good people just because I had to hire a, a certain minority race just to meet a certain number, mm-hmm. right? Um, my philosophy has always been you hire the right people for the job and you lean into optimizing for diversity. But um, I have seen the opposite in a wide variety of companies where it's just, here's your number. I don't care what you do, just need it. And uh, I think it's part of my role as a chief of staff to keep my leader in check, to keep other C-level executives in check and say that is not the right way to think about diversity. It's not always just black and white, I guess. Yeah, it is not. Yeah. Um, Because like, you know, I think in my head... Oh, that makes sense. A quota, you know, mm-hmm. to keep everything fair and balanced. But mm-hmm. it, then, yeah, you're sacrificing. You could be sacrificing someone that is totally good for the job. Yeah. Um, but because you're meeting, you have to meet these quotas, which seems silly. It seems so silly saying it out loud. But it, it, it does. And it's, you know, let's just say women in tech. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a low ratio of women in tech compared to men. Um, I, that's just the reality of it. That's what the data shows. That's not to say they aren't out there. That's not to say there aren't female software engineers. I think we need to find them. We need to hire them. We need to go to conferences like Grace Hopper. We need to go to uh, African-American based hiring events. Right. We need to lean into those avenues and channels. That way we find the right people. And our chances of hiring those people will be greater if we have a good company with good culture, right? That's very inclusive. But let's say you did all that effort and it's the end of the year and you haven't hired a female engineer, you haven't hired an African-American or an Asian engineer, you still need to get the work done. And so you should, I encourage you to hire someone who's qualified for the job Mm -hmm. because at that point, you're harming your company's progress for the sake of trying to meet a quota. If you were intentional and you tried, I give you that pass. If you said, you know what, I don't care. I'm lazy. Like, right. let me just hire hire the best person. Then you do not get um, any credit for that. No, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, man. Um, well, so much to talk about. Gabe, was there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, um, well, we are coming up on our uh, the end of our time together. I don't want to keep sure. you forever, which no I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no worries, <laughs> um, no worries. Um, but I always ask uh, my guests, you know, do you have any advice for somebody mm. that is listening and that's like, man, this sounds like something that I'm interested in, I want to do, or mm-hmm. do you have any life advice at all? Ooh, Okay. <laughs> Let me think on that for a second. Yeah. Um, I would say life is, and this is going to be kind of a counter to your whole podcast. No. But life, life is so much more than just your career. And yeah. I think your career is one piece of it that can help you in achieving your goals. Uh, it was actually, I'm privileged to say that early on, I kind of knew what I wanted in life, which was like, I want to establish a good family. I want to be financially secure. Uh, I want to be a good husband, right? Like those are kind of my pillars. And if I'm not doing something that's contributing towards one of those three pillars, I shouldn't be doing it. Right. I also like, I want to have fun. Like I want to have a good time, but um, I want to enjoy what life has to offer, but like not over index on that. Right. Like I can't just play all day. Like I have to do work if it means being financially secure, if it means having a family, if it means, um, you know, living in a house and all, all of that good stuff, feeding myself, right? Like all of those things you need to take responsibility for. 
and you can choose like the career that makes that work for you. It's a plus if it's something you enjoy, but you know, life, life isn't always that easy. It doesn't always go the way you want it to. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say uh, is think about like what really matters to you in life and what can you do to accomplish those goals. And for me, chief of staff, software engineering, like whatever it was, uh, that was my path mm-hmm. to achieve some of those goals. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm done. And I think in a couple of years times, like I could be doing something totally different. I've thrown around the idea of like opening a cafe, right? Like that, that sounds like so fun, right? Um, more Podcast fun than being a chief two of staff. With Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me in like five years. Yeah. Maybe we'll have done it. <laughs> like that, that sounds awesome. Um, sounds a little more fun. Uh, but you know, I would be doing that in hopes that I'm still achieving my goal of having a good family, um, and and trying to enjoy life. Right. So I I guess that's, that's my advice. Also, there's, uh, this happiness framework. I don't know if anyone has talked about it before called Ikigai, but it's like, it's like a Venn diagram of like four circles. And so it's what you're good at what you love, what the world will pay you for, and what the world needs, right? Oh. And if you somehow do something that hits all four circles in the middle, um, you should be very happy because you're doing something you love, the world's paying you for it, the world's needing it, and you're good at it. Okay, that makes um, sense. <laughs> strangely enough, I think I'm kind of at an intersection of some of those circles. Oh. Um, I would say I'm fairly good at my job. I don't know how it happened, but um, a lot of investment from like leaders and stuff, right? A lot of investment from my parents, right? Who did everything to leave everything behind and come here. Uh, So I would say I'm pretty good at my job. Uh, Do I love it? Kind of, right? It goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like I love seeing people mobilize. I love seeing people achieve their goals. Um, Does the world need it? I guess so, because the company hired me and are they paying me for it? Yeah, they are. So. I'm, I'm like fairly happy with where I am today. I, I still think there's more to life, mm. but you know, for anyone who's wondering like, what is it going to take for me to be happy? It's, it is that intersection of those four things. Yeah. Awesome, man. All of that is like so rich. And I love, I love that. I love that you said, I know you said it's counterintuitive to what this, this podcast is all about, which is true. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I think, what you said is the most important, right? Like we are living for more than just mm-hmm. like our identity shouldn't be found in what we do. Right? right. But maybe even just how we do it and our character and what we are living for. Um, yeah. I feel like is, is the bigger picture. So um, Gabe, thank you so much again. Um, I hate to put you on the spot, man, but if there's anybody that maybe has questions for you, would you be Absolutely. open? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah give the socials or whatever and anyone can reach out to me talk about anything uh software engineering chief of staff life um just general anything um happy to talk yeah and i can attest to to gabe being an open person because man i feel like you've always come through for me um i don't know if you like realize this but you're just so you're so open and so friendly and so approachable um and i'm sure you're you're um the people that work for you feel the same way. Um, so yeah, guys, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, and I'll definitely connect you um, in the way best way possible. So 
Gabe, thank you again. You guys, if you have any questions or you just want to reach out, uh, feel free to DM me through social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Gabe, thank you again. I appreciate you and congratulations on just everything that you've been doing so far. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Bye, guys. Until next time.